Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Cream, Eric Scope and Jared Mack on the show. Welcome to your Tuesday edition of the show. And yesterday on Monday afternoon, we got to speak with Oregon head coach Mario Cristobal, offensive coordinator Joe Moorhead, and defensive coordinator Tim DeRuiter. And we learned quite a bit um, about this team, some thoughts on this team um, from all three of these coaches. And it was a pretty – maybe it's just me, guys, but I think it was a pretty big Monday from a podcast, from an interview standpoint with those three. We we got quite a few comments that were pretty interesting that's out of the realm of normal week-to-week type stuff. I feel like sometimes we come out of these things being kind of like that was – I don't want to say boring, but kind of uneventful, yeah. and you just don't really – what are you going to write about? That's not was not the case today. We were scrambling, going like, okay, we've got – each got to get something up quick because there was so much contact, and we'll get to a lot of it today. Um, some of it being, I think, pretty notable. Injuries, first and foremost, um, Mario Cristobal, like right out of the jump, didn't even – really let anyone ask this question and he was ready for it. Um, And it sounds like basically everyone that left the game or did not play against California being DJ James with his injury. And then Alex Forsyth and Mace Funa who were unavailable to go uh, because of injuries that flared up during the week should be back this week. Um, Good, positive, I also have a shred of doubt because Cristobal on Wednesday of last week said Forsyth was ready to go, and he then proceeded to walk out of practice Forsyth in in street clothes. Um, Cristobal did say, though, that they felt like he was going to go, and he tried to play Friday night, but something popped up that day, and that prevented him from playing. But he was pretty adamant that he was going to play this week against UCLA. I think the bigger one is Mace Funa and his return and also DJ James not being out uh, long-term from an injury perspective. Yeah, they, they practiced on uh, Sunday, which is something they don't normally do, but because the game was played on Friday, they gave him an extra day of practice. And what Mario said, and of course, we're not watching these practices. We haven't watched yeah. practice since August, um, sadly. Uh, but from what Mario did say, all three of those players that matches ran through, he said, looked good. Seemed like there are positive days. I don't know. Jared, you have the quotes. Is there anything else that stood out from an injury perspective from what he said? It was pretty run of the mill. They're good to go kind of stuff. Yeah, that's, that was basically it. Uh, the one name you guys haven't mentioned yet was Trey Benson. Um, we were kind of expecting Trey Benson to play uh, on, on Friday night, but, uh, Byron Cardwell got the majority of the backup snaps. Um, Mark Cristobal said that Trey is healthy, Trey is ready to go, so and that he'll be in the rotation. So take that what you will. Again, going back to Matt's point where Mario looked us all dead in the eyes and said that Alex Forsyth is good to go and he should be there on Friday against Cal and then didn't play. So we'll see. Um, I yeah, that's about it. Uh, other other than that, for injuries, it just seemed it seemed like a very positive week for injuries. I guess uh, DJ James not having 
any significant injury is good. He just mysteriously left the game. Uh, I only picked it up because of the, the ESPN broadcast that was going on. Um, he just walked out. He didn't have any limps or anything like that. He wasn't holding anything, so it might have been a head thing or something, but right. you know, it's not right for me to, to speculate. Um, but, yeah, as far as the se severity of the injuries, we're very much unaware of what they are. We just know that these players didn't play and are expecting to play uh, next week against UCLA. Now, the one other injury news is Joe Moorhead. Um, like the second yes. or third week in a row, we're talking about an injured coach, um, which is really <laughs> weird. Um, but we have good news that, you know, it does seem like uh, Moorhead is starting to trend back to working into the office, which is just from a human level, good to hear. Um, mm -hmm. He was asked about what happened, if he would divulge what what went down uh, in the Bay Area. He didn't want to go into too much specifics, which I could understand, um, doesn't have to, and would only say that he had to have emergency surgery um, and that he got cleared actually on Monday the 18th by his doctor to travel down to UCLA. for his, So he will be in the booth. Um, he did say that during the week leading up to the Cal game, everything he did was back home. It was remote. Um, he was not in the building, and then he, he was able to get to Autzen Stadium Friday night to call the game in the booth. Um, but this week, it sounds like he's going to at least try to get into the office for a little bit. Um, but nonetheless, it's still going to have some kind of moving and moving pieces with this coaching staff. Uh, he, he will be coaching in the booth again, which Eric, he, you asked him, like that was probably, I think he said the first time ever, right? That he, he's done that. First time since 2010 when he was at UConn in the Fiesta Bowl. Um, and I would be, I mean, I would like to get a follow-up of, of why does he prefer on the field and why was that a change made? Um, but not a lot of time with him. And again, a lot of the time spent focused on, how he's doing from a health perspective, as Matt said, um, wouldn't go into details of the specifics, but having him around the team this week is, is a positive. And, and he said he, he seemed to be excited about that opportunity to, to do that. I mean, it's got to be really tough. You're in the middle of a season and you've watched your players struggle and take a lot of criticism and lose a football game. And he hasn't really been able to be around them to, to kind of be just that face-to-face -face human element. And so the fact that he'll be in the office this week doing some of that stuff um, again, I don't imagine he's involved with much practice. Uh, you know, again, that's he didn't specify that, but I imagine a lot of this is just kind of positional meetings and and taking it pretty slowly. He did communicate that he's still in the recovery period of this of this injury he's dealing with or this health issue he's dealing with. So um, he has to be kind of careful and balancing. It's a balancing act of you don't want to do too much because you don't want to put yourself in a position where you um, maybe worsen your condition. So I mean, he he's having to be careful. It's not. It's certainly not a situation where you go, okay, he's calling the games on, on Fridays and Saturdays. He's totally fine. Everything is good to go. He is still progressing towards being back to 100%, being able to do everything he did before, and the staff has had to kind of pick and, and pick things up from you know from him. And, and I guess just in terms of how things went from the booth on Friday, uh, both Joe, Jim Mastro and, and Brian McClendon, who are typically in the booth or on the field, basically kind of teaming up to do some of his responsibilities. Um, you know, sounds like Brian McClendon was taking kind of feedback from Moorhead uh, to the field, to the quarterbacks and kind of being that kind of in intermediary, that in between guy the, to kind of make sure the quarterbacks had at least some sort of communication with their coach. Because I think you have to think back to 
what was clearly Anthony Brown's, and this is maybe a good way to transition to the next segment, yeah. but what was clearly Anthony Brown's worst performance was Stanford, where he had no interaction with Joe Moorhead. It seemed like Anthony played better, and I wonder if in part that was because Moorhead was at least able to, through Brian McClendon, say, hey, this is what I'm seeing up here, blah, 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 kind of work through some of that stuff, because it did seem like, unlike against Stanford, seemed like Anthony Brown actually played better as the game wore on, or at least the fourth quarter was his best quarter. Um, you know, and at Stanford, I guess he did have some good moments late, but certainly some moments you'd probably like to have back, and you wonder how those might have differed had he had his quarterback coach for part of it. Yeah, that's the thing. Is Morehead was kind of asked about um, AB's play, and, and I think what we heard today – I mean, it was already pretty clear, at least to me, I think you two would agree that um, A.B. was going to be the guy for the rest of the year unless this season derailed itself in the worst way possible um, based off of what we've seen from the, the production at that position and unwavering support for him through Mario Cristobal. Um, I feel like if, if there was going to be a change, it would have already happened by now and, and Joe Moorhead came out, and I, quite honestly, like I was, I wasn't surprised that he backed AB. I was 100% expecting that. It's the manner and, and the, I guess, the tone or or the way he delivered the support. It was clear as day. This is their guy, and from a from a fan perspective, if if you're wanting a quarterback change, you just need to move on. You need to get ready for the rest of the year more than likely featuring Anthony Brown, because this is who the coaches, the guys that are the most experienced and qualified, believe gives Oregon the best chance to win. Not just qualified. They're the ones making the call, Matt. I mean, like, yeah, we, right. we, we the, and I would say the majority of fans don't agree with it, probably. Yeah. At this point. I would say the three of us at this point don't think Anthony Brown is a very good quarterback either. Um, and, and nothing has changed from my regard in, in terms of that. I, I still think there are some clear shortcomings. And, and it's not like Moorhead ignored all that it's not like he yeah. came out and said this guy is amazing yeah. but but what he did say was the and i thought the couple of things that were really interesting in terms of he did say in 2019 statistically this offense is above the kind of the caliber they were playing that year and he ran through hey that was justin herbert was the quarterback that year you know he said sure anthony brown's not marcus mariota he's not dennis dixon he used those two players by name but he said that you can nitpick all you want but he would take him going into battle you know i've got the exact quotes i don't know how much of that we want to mm -hmm. read through because it was a big section of probably about two minutes of him giving support and, and kind of running through some of it. But um, here's a, here's a, here's a quote I will give. You can nitpick and talk about stats and completion percentage and all that stuff, but I'll go into a game with AB as my quarterback and believe in his abilities and what he's going to do. I'm proud to be coaching him because he's a great competitor and he'll do a good job with the offense. Um, I mean, there you go. That's, that's, that's pretty clear in terms of where they're at with this. Now, I, I think the timing of this is pretty significant because yeah. – it is the first time we've heard from Joe Moorhead since the Stanford game, and the Stanford game mm -hmm. was objectively bad. I don't think anybody would disagree with that um, from a quarterback perspective. And so getting his feedback and seeing kind of where he, his, he thinks A.B. stands, I thought it's pretty significant to me. Um, and, and again, I'm with Matt. I'm not surprised by what he said. I would have been more surprised if he would have said, I don't believe in what Anthony is doing. This isn't my, my quarterback. Um, at the same time, he didn't have to be quite as forceful and as strong in his defense, and I thought that was pretty notable. Yeah, I agree. It was, I thought his demeanor, his tone was the most noticeable whole part of his quote. Uh, like you said, Eric, it's a long quote. It was probably two, two and a half, three minutes of him just 
you know, instilling his own opinion into the conversation and saying like, Anthony Brown is my guy. Like, this is the guy I want to go to war with. This is the guy I want in my battle. Um, and I thought that was really telling. Um, and you know, Matt, like you opened this, this segment up with a, if there was a, going to be a change, it probably would have already happened. And since it hasn't happened and after hearing these quotes, and you know, Mario Cristobal had some kind, some kind words to say about him as well in his section of the press conference. Um, it's probably not a change coming. And I, I, Eric, to your to your sentiment about how Brown performed much better with Morehead there at the game, not necessarily on the field, but at the game just in general and, and relaying message. Uh, you know, there has to be something to that. You know, that's because Anthony Brown has now worked with. Joe Moorhead for two years now. They, they clearly have some sort of a re relationship, and it seems like a really good one that seems to stretch much longer than the, just the game of football. And right. to get points, yeah, to get to get points and and advice from Moorhead going forward, I think is going to be huge for Brown. And especially once Coach Moorhead gets back down on the field, he'll be able to have these types of talks and give pointers and advice and run through defenses with him in person, face to face. So I think that'll help along the way. Uh, will it make an, a significant difference? We don't know. Yeah, uh, I think that's yet to be seen. But um, it's it, it, you could tell just the the difference in the in Anthony Brown's, I guess, with his confidence and his, you know, his his playmaking in between quarters with with Joe Moorhead there rather than not being there. Uh, really quick, Matt, because I know we want to get on to more. Just like, do, what do we make of this? Does this does this impact our opinion of things? Does this make us feel better or worse about the quarterback situation? Because I don't know. It, I mean, I kinda, does I'm, it? I'm kind of mixed on it because I I don't think Anthony Brown is an amazing quarterback, but I am happy that if you are, you know, I'm happy they're going all in with Anthony Brown at least, right? Like, I'm happy it doesn't feel like it's one foot in, pull one foot out of. Right. We don't know who our quarterback is. I'm happy they're being kind of decisive and saying this is who it is and blah, blah, blah. We believe this. Personally, I'm still skeptical if they're, if they're tacking their, you know, if, if they're if they're using, you know, if they're putting their, their money on the right way, racehorse to use a probably a really bad um, analogy for a variety <laughs> of reasons. But like, I, I don't know, like, Matt, do you, do you feel better based upon what we've heard from the coaches today after what we've seen the last couple of weeks at quarterback? I mean, I don't have, I don't look at, this and say that Oregon all of a sudden could maybe finish the year out and they they have a top five quarterback in the conference. No, I've come to the realization that there are two things that can be factually true. A couple things more than that. One, Anthony Brown is an average quarterback. That's what he has been in his entire career. I know that Joe Moorhead is all in on him and i'm not trying to go against his opinion he obviously knows way more than me than, than football but statistically speaking anthony brown has never had a dominant season at quarterback and maybe they don't need that to to, to win a pac-12 championship maybe they just need a guy that's consistent and doesn't turn the football over and can get you 250 to 310 all-purpose yards per game because that's right around what he's doing. He doesn't turn the football over all that often, and he gets you right around 250 to 320 all-purpose yards. There's also a couple facts that can be true. He doesn't have the highest ceiling on the team. He is not the long-term answer for your quarterback room, obviously because he's a senior, mm -hmm. but – 
he also gives you the best chance to win this season because the younger guys that have a lot a higher ceiling of success and potential are simply not ready yet. Like, I think that right there is where I'm the most frustrated is that you are in a position where you really only have one option at that position. It feels like every other position group, you have at least two guys. Running back, you had Verdell, and you had Travis Dye that you feel, hey, these guys could both start. At receiver, same thing. Tight end, same thing. Offensive line, they rotate seven or eight guys. And a lot of those guys can play different positions. They've got two really good pass rushers, Kayvon Thibodeau and Braden Swenson. You can maybe throw in Mace Funa into that mix. Going into the year, they felt like, hey, we've got three bona fide good line, inside linebackers and Noah Sewell, Justin Flo, and Drew Mathis. At safety, you've, you've, you've got multiple guys. I don't need to run through every position group. But right. it, it just truly feels like at quarterback, it's A, B, and that's your only option. And I think that's, for me, what's the most frustrating part about this is you haven't been able to get guys behind him ready to go. So in this rare instance that your starter maybe isn't consistently good enough for you to maximize the potential that the entire offense has, you can't go to another option. You are literally stuck with, maybe stuck isn't the right word, but you literally have to play one guy and one guy only because the other three are so far behind him that it could even get worse. But we don't we don't necessarily know that they're that far behind AB. True. We could true. they could just be they could be playing Anthony Brown because he's the best option, which is probably true. But they could also be playing Anthony Brown because they still have title aspirations here. They still mm-hmm. have the chance to get to the Pac-12 championship game. They have the very they have a slim chance of getting in the college football playoffs. I don't I mean, we just don't know that they're not that good. We just don't. We haven't seen them play. It's hard yeah, to believe we haven't that, right? seen them play other than the Ty Thompson half of football where he played fine. There wasn't anything in that game, maybe than one throw or one RPO read that he made a bad decision on yet. And so I can't mail in the idea that they are so much worse than Anthony Brown. That that's, that's the difference level here. I think it's more of a, of a, who gives us the best chance to win the game, win every game, you know, because if you were to hypothetically put in Ty Thompson for the rest of the month, maybe he has a, Future day against UCLA, but maybe he throws for three touchdowns and 350 yards against Colorado somehow. Right. But Anthony Brown is at least as consistent as it gets. People may not like his consistent stats, but guess what? They're pretty consistent. And I think that gives Oregon the best chance of winning. I, I just can we watch a practice, Mario? Get, give, give us a practice. I Please. Can, then I could have a real <laughs> opinion on the backups because I really don't know. I, 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 I keep thinking they can't be that bad. Right, because we don't have a very high opinion of Anthony Brown, and then I also go, well, the staff is pretty clearly not either they're really stubborn or these guys just aren't very good right now, and and we don't really know what the answer is because we haven't seen enough practice, especially since August. Um, I, I mean, yeah. I will I will say when we watched the scrimmage in August, I thought Ty Thompson played better than Anthony Brown. I think most people who watched agree, but that's one scrimmage, and then we got to see him against Stony Brook, and that's really all we're going on here. So, um, and that. I just don't know. I just don't know. I, I, I'm going to trust the coaches and say that this is a pretty easy decision. Mm-hmm. They're making it sound like it's an easy decision. That can be optics. That can be a variety of things. But right now, 
and I don't think anything's changing based upon what we've heard the last couple of days from the coaches. Right now, Anthony Brown has given them the best chance to win at quarterback, and that information, you kind of just, it's, it is what it is. It's the fact of the day, according to the coaches, and I don't know if we can really refute it one way or the other until we see some of these guys play in games, which isn't going to happen unless there's an injury or they get blowout, they get into blowout situations, which we haven't seen much of this year. And this goes back to a comment I made, I think, last week or the week after the Stanford game. And this ultimately, the unknown, the, the uncertainty is ultimately on the coaching staff for not having this team be in a position so in the fourth quarter in some in some capacity you get Ty Thompson some snaps. And in the second half against Stony Brook, you got Ty Thompson in there. But I would have loved to have seen them be a little bit more aggressive and, and call some more plays that put stresses on him. And at the same time, get get a third quarterback in there like Jay Butterfield and give him more than just one series. And that next week against Arizona, when you're a 30 point favorite and you're leading by five in the fourth quarter against that Wildcat team. And then ultimately last week against Cal, a one in five Cal team. These are, these were the games where you needed to get these guys and not just a quarterback, but everywhere like Cardwell and Benson and McGee and your freshman receivers, you needed to get these guys into the game and you needed to have your team ready to go from the jump to blow these teams out so you do have an idea. And that, that's where I place the blame on is you, you didn't win these games consistently, you didn't play consistent football against the opponents that you absolutely should have blown out. And it's cost you. And Cristobal didn't necessarily say it cost him, but he did admit today or excuse me, on, on Monday, that they need to play better and they need, and it's not just Anthony Brown on the offensive side of the football. And he said it's ultimately on the coaching staff for them not getting this team to play consistent four quarters of football because he was asked about what makes Anthony Brown so good in the fourth quarter of games because he is really, really good in the fourth quarter. And he, he talked a little bit about A.B., but then spun it by saying, the entire team needs to be playing like they are in the fourth quarter through the entire length of a game. And he said, ultimately, that's on them as coaches for not getting this team there. And that's where we're at because of those blowout opportunities missed. Ten put teams away. They don't have a knockout punch. And it costs you on the field in a game like Stanford. I think it, I agree. I think it costs you from a developmental perspective, too, because this. They're playing a ton of freshmen regardless. I, I just updated the um, number of red There's 11 players that aren't redshirting, and we're six games through the season, so that's one over the minimum to redshirt. Um, you know, so we're, we're – we're, and they're going to – I think you're going to get closer to that number being 15 or 16, honestly. Um, Keith Brown hasn't reached that threshold. He will. Damon David is finally healthy. I think he's going to play every game. Um, there's just two examples right there to get you to 13. And then you've got Ty Thompson. Will yeah. he play enough? You've got Darren Barkins, who's playing now the last couple of weeks. There's, there's that, that's that right there gets you to 15 guys. That's like three quarters of this class. So they're playing a lot of guys. But as Matt said, the unfortunate thing is you're, you're not allowing them to play probably as many snaps as you want across the board. Some guys are playing a ton, like Terrence Ferguson is starting games. Jeffrey Bassa and Keith Brown have rotated starting games at inside linebacker. Um, Maliki Matavau plays a ton. I think Troy Franklin is still playing enough. And Brandon Buckner on defense is still playing quite a bit. But you would love to see an opportunity to really empty the benches. And I don't know if there is one here. Colorado to end this month is probably the closest thing that you feel good about saying could be that 
But Colorado also did just beat Arizona 34 to nothing. And I know a game we don't put much stock into, but at least they showed a little bit of a pulse there. Um, we can move on, I guess, from the, the freshman quarterback stuff now, Matt. Because um, we did want to, we did want to, we wanted to finish talking about some positive stuff. Yeah, and that leads us to KT, where against UCLA on Saturday afternoon, you know, you knock on every piece of wood you have. Uh, he should play his first complete game at Oregon this season. Um, it's going to be their seventh game of the year, and that's just absolutely bonkers to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and. We saw the impact in that second half against Cal. And I understand the Bears are one and five. But when you pair KT with Braden Swinson, you get Mace Funa back. And Tim DeRuiter, the Oregon's defensive coordinator, spoke about how a lot of guys are starting to find their footing now that have been thrust into bigger roles because of injury. We're going to get a good feel for what this defense could be capable of because against Cal in that second half, when they had KT, when they had Swinson, everything just seemed a little bit different. And, and it feels like this group is starting to round into form now. Shout out to Brandon Dorlis, Popo Amavai, uh, Keonwar Hudson, some of those interior line guys um, that I think have played well too, just in terms of passing downs, put, put, you know, creating some pressure, even when they didn't have KT. Obviously, that was a shortcoming, I think, collectively, was, was that lack of pressure. And those guys have continued to play hard, play well. I think they're the two highest rated PFF defensive linemen through five games. Um, and I think they stacked up really well this past weekend too. So um, that's positive as well. And I think this front seven, you're starting to see what made it so exciting. And the only the big hole right now is that will spot I, to me. Mm-hmm. You get Mace Funa healthy. Hopefully he's able to go and give you a full game or close to it. Um, even if he's not, you got enough depth there to feel okay. Trevin Mai played really well, I thought, actually, at times against Cal. Like, he's becoming a really good he's young player. solid player. player. Very mm-hmm. solid young player to kind of keep an eye on. Um, but it to me, it's like that that will spot is just such a clear weakness. And I, and then I don't want to, again, make it too negative because we're trying to finish on a positive. But if they can just get better production there, especially in coverage, because it's been pretty rough at times. And I think that's why you saw Jeffrey Bossa play so much, because he's better there. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. If they can get better play and coverage from those that spot, that sure's up, I think, the only, to me, the only real weakness you've got there. Um, against the run, they're a little better. They're even not terrible in tackling in space. It just seems like they're confused out there at times. There's some sort of communication issues um, with some of the players out there at that spot. If they can shore that up, I really think you're going to see this defense take a step. And and that's where I kind of get a little bit more optimistic about the idea of Oregon making putting together a decent run here. And I'm still very skeptical against UCLA for a variety of reasons. Um, but if the defense can play at its top le- or pretty close to its best level, kind of what we expected from them, that will take off a lot of pressure on the offense. And the offense still needs to produce better. Jared, you made a good point, I think, on our mailbag show on Monday of like, you know, the defense's shortcomings probably amplified when the offense doesn't go score after they make a stop. And it just feels like everything stays on the defense's shoulders because the offense doesn't create enough separation. But I do mm-hmm. think the defense playing at a high level, and I do think it's going to continue to improve. I, I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic of it. Um, we started seeing signs of it with KT out there. My gosh, 11 pass, <laughs> 11 plays where he was disruptive and, and, and created quarterback pressures out of 22 is just a stat that is absurd. Um, I try to be and feel like maybe this is where the turning point is starting. But again, there's so much sloppy play still, and you're still seeing them struggle to close games on both sides of the ball um, to the point where it kind of – starts to kill my momentum here. We're talking so optimistically because I go like, yeah, but they still against Cal didn't show everything. Um, and I still have concerns. 
Yeah, I mean, it's easy to have concerns. There, are, it's still very apparent, just like blatantly obvious when you're watching the games. Like these are, this is a concerning thing, and especially that linebacker position at the will. You know, I think the idea was to have uh, Keith Brown come in and kind of fill that role, but Keith Brown really, really struggles in pass coverage at points. And it's noticeably bad and especially bad on the rewatches. So, again, that's why Jeffrey Bossa played a lot. And I liked him out there, too. I think he's a little undersized. That's mostly because he's a safety for the first part. <laughs> yeah. But he's, he's, he's explosive. He's a hell of an athlete, too. He came on a lot of blitzes on Friday against Cal. Uh, and he, I think he can provide some depth there. Uh, Nate Hukliani has had his moments. Uh, it's un unreasonable to expect any of these three guys, Brown, Hukliani, or Bassa, to be the level of player that either the combination of Drew Mathis or Justin Flo would represent. But that's what they need. And again, in the second half, full seven, full front seven, excuse me, with Kayvon Thibodeau, Dorless, Keanwar Hudson, Swinson on the other side, Adrian Jackson got in there too. It's, it's a good looking defense. Yeah. And you saw that in the second half against Stanford as well. They locked down Stanford. They locked down Cal for a full half. And, but again, this is the point I made on the mailbag podcast. Yeah. Oregon and, and against Cal and Stanford had like four or five straight drives on defense, not allowing a point. Oregon on offense also didn't score any points. So that's the issue is that yeah. you get these games where if Oregon goes down the field and scores on two thirds of the possessions that their defense holds the other team to a stop, Suddenly they're up by 14 or 21 and the game is basically out of reach because then the defense now has a lot of momentum too. But again, you saw it at the end of the game on against Cal. Oregon's defense, that final drive looked tired. Yeah. They uh, Cal ran, I think it was 11 more plays. They ran 81 total. I don't remember what Oregon's number was. Oregon had, 60, they ran, Oregon had 65. So 16 more plays. That's a full drive more. And I think the same thing happened at Stanford. And Stanford is also a physical team. They're a little less physical than they have been in the past, but I digress. It's a lot more plays. And if Oregon's offense could just stay on the field for longer than four to five plays at a drive, the defense would be more rested. And then there would be even better of an impact. But regardless, to be, to be excited, to be optimistic going forward, this defense does have the tools to, to really hold opponents down. And I think fully healthy going into this week against UCLA, you'll get the chance to see as a viewer or someone who goes to the game where this defense could potentially be. Uh, you know, that's yeah, all that, that being said is it has to be a good game for the defense too. But uh, I, after the last two weeks, I feel increasingly more optimistic about how they can perform for the rest of the season. Yeah, 100% agree all the way around. I mean, this is trending in the right direction for the defense. Um, UCLA is setting up to be a pretty pivotal point, I think, in this season um, where this year goes for Oregon. They are still a top 10 team. They are still a team in the driver's seat to win the Pac-12 for a third straight year. Um, they are still in a position where if they keep stacking wins, like we've seen the last couple of weeks, Top 10 teams are going down and yep. you know, undefeated teams are, are getting dealt losses. And if Oregon can weather the storm and continue to just win, they will be in a position in the end or middle of November 
where the playoff is a real possibility again. Um, mm -hmm. That's a long ways away. That doesn't feel like a team right now that is playing like one, but this feels like a, a junction in the in the season where the, the year could go a couple different ways, depending on the outcome in, in the Rose Bowl on Saturday afternoon. Um, we're going to be covering it live there. Uh, we'll have full coverage leading up to the game this week here on the podcast, also on DuckTerritory.com. So really appreciate everyone for listening to the show, checking out DuckTerritory.com. And until later on this week when we continue to, to get you ready for the game, you've been listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.